Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you. I have a topical message this morning, so if you have your Bibles, please turn to the prophet Hosea, chapter 7, or turn to the table of contents (laughs) and find Hosea. The title of this morning's message is Satan's Snacks. And it's directed primarily to our youth. But the scripture is one size fits all. Um, It's something for all of us. So we are going to stand and take verse 7, Hosea chapter 7, verse 8. Hosea chapter 7, verse 8. Give you a little bit more time this morning to find it. I have quite a few Bible verses. And one of the reasons why is, well, I love the Bible verses. That's one. The other is because if you don't take my word for it, maybe you'll take God's word. And uh, we'll see. Uh, Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hosea chapter 7, verse 8. Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. Please be seated. Uh, Yeah, I wanted to keep going. Aliens have devoured his strength, not Martian-type aliens, but those estranged from God, those against God. The prophet Hosea, you could subtitle his prophecies, The Lamentation of God. You could say it is uh, the sob story of the North. You could say it, it is the prophet's plea. This is a heartfelt delivery of God's word to a people who don't want anything to do with him anymore. They like human religion more than truth. This is a practice that has never been out of style in humanity. Since the days of Cain, man has tried to do God his way. Not God's way, but man's way. It's always a failure. And our youth are very susceptible to this. The older Christians, I think, one thing that makes the older Christians so grand is that they've piled up enough sin in their life to know how valuable the mercy of God is, the grace of God, the goodness of God, and the glory that awaits. But the youth may not be there yet. Ephraim, that is the northern kingdom, Ephraim was one of the larger, more dominant tribes, and so Hosea singles them out. It's a poetic touch, but it is actually very accurate. Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a half-baked cake. In verse 17 of chapter 4, he said, Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave them alone. Keep your distance from Ephraim. The Hebrew prophet is calling out the Jews who joined these human religions and they became spiritual failures because of their poor choice, willfully preferring lies about God and therefore lies about themselves. If you settle for lies about God, you will be dishonest with your own self. And the Bible says to us, to humanity, I want to help you. I want to help you with this. I want to help you out of this mistake. They offered themselves 
this northern tribe, those who were given to idols, they had offered themselves as little snacks, little morsels for Satan. And in so damning their own souls, they were hors d'oeuvres. You know, that little meal before the dinner. The dinner is the soul going to hell. The snack is this lifestyle on earth. And I hope the youth, I hope you're listening to this. I hope I don't lose your attention as we consider God's word. God's displeasure with this type of behavior, with this following man-made religions, with making things up about eternity and spiritual things, with insisting that they are true without any evidence to back it up. God's displeasure with this continues to this day, and the New Testament rings in on it. It ratifies what the prophet says. It stands by them. Foursquare. John, finishing up his letter, dealing with the heretics creeping into the early church, He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Don't believe that junk. Stick with Christ who died for you. To the Ephesians, Paul says, don't give place to Satan. Don't give up an inch to him. To the Corinthians, again, Paul says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. We know what he's doing. We know what he's up to. Have the guts to stand up and say he's wrong. Instead of looking to the world who's totally under his influence, who is drunk with the devil's meddling, don't look to the world and find out how you should live. Look to God's word. Look to those decent servants of Christ that are older than you. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believe for nothing. Don't let some scholar come along and say that doesn't mean what it says. It means just what it says. If you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believe for nothing. That is a wake-up call to anyone who thinks that their Christianity is on automatic pilot. They have no say-so in how you serve Christ. You do have say-so to some degree under the lordship of Christ. Don't devalue that word lordship. Master, ruler, God Almighty. That's what we mean by it. When we call him Lord, we are saying he is God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. The word of God and the will of my soul based on God's word, that's our path. And it's, it's hard. It's a fight. But it's a lot harder without it. It's a lot harder going to hell all dressed up and comfortable rather than going to heaven with your armor singed and smoke, smoldering, dented up. Long before social media, media, God was telling his people that there were those to unfriend. I don't... I don't like using these things too much, but I think it's very appropriate, especially with the youth in mind, with those of you who are born into a generation that has this social media. You cannot be a friend of God and wear the uniform of Satan at the same time. James tries to tell us this. You cannot be a friend with God if you are running around with his enemies. 
1 Corinthians 10, Paul says it like this, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. You cannot do them both at the same time. You cannot serve two masters. And in this case, one is the devil. What is hard to understand about any of this? Well, the flesh, that carnal nature, that fallen nature that we all are saddled with, it rises up in protest. It says, I don't believe that. Just what Satan wants you to say. Satan doesn't even want you to believe in him. Satan wants you to think he's a myth while he gobbles you up. One of his delicacies are stupid people. Spiritually stupid. He loves them. Because they don't want to hear what the Bible has to say. Their mind is made up. And we try to reach them through the scripture, through our lives, through reason. The text that we're looking at here in Hosea, Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. It's a symbol of total failure. Undeveloped on one side, burned on the other side. If, if the prophet is saying you've left that one side cooking too long and you haven't cooked the other side. On, on the other hand, maybe you, he's left it on there just enough time, go, looking at the metaphor. And you have a half-right cake. You have a half-right people, a half-lived religion, a half-hearted confession, a half-baked cake. And the side of the cake that is right does not make the side of the cake that is wrong acceptable. It's still wrong. It's wrong to the point where the whole thing is a failure. There's nothing to salvage from this. In the sixth chapter, he writes, he says, Oh, Ephraim, what shall I do to you? Oh, Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like the morning cloud. And like the early dew, it goes away. There's God saying, I'm struggling with this. It's anthropomorphic. It is God trying to appeal to our sense of reason by sort of getting down where we are and speaking our language. Of course God knows what he's going to do. But he's saying to us, what am I supposed to do with you? You behave this way. What can anybody do? Your goodness, your goodness lasts as a flash in the pan. You come to church, you like what you hear, but then on the way out, there's this pile of armor, and it's yours. Because you'd rather go out into the world dressed like them than go out into the world dressed like one of the people of God. And you, therefore, become a snack of Satan if you do this. What shall I do with you, God says? That's this prophet appealing to the nation. There's a sob in every sentence. As he calls these people who had every opportunity to believe and chose not to. Ungodly alliances are one of the greatest threats to a Christian's life, to a Christian's service, no matter what age you are. But especially at risk are our youth. And when I say youth, listen, you can have many kids and still be immature, underdeveloped. Just because you procreate doesn't mean that you've come under the lordship of Christ, that you're maturing. And so uh, the, fact, the fact within that, though, is that our teens are more susceptible. They've not been around long, long enough to understand how to respond to many things but I, I have to add, there are those teens that seem to get it. 
They get it and they keep it. And if they can get it, they all can get it. There's no excuse in that sense. And so Ephraim mixed himself among the peoples. These are the unbelievers. And this is what caused the whole problem. This is that symbol of failure that I mentioned earlier. Do you agree or not? Don't answer out loud. But ask yourselves, do you agree or not that ungodly alliances are the greatest threats, or one of the greatest threats to Christianity, to a Christian's life and service? Maybe you don't believe the Bible. Instead, you believe that Satan, as I mentioned, is a myth created by the Christians. Maybe you've fallen for that. Well, before I go return to that, let's come back to this seventh chapter of Hosea. In verse 8, where he says Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. In verse 8, he also says Ephraim is a cake unturned. In verse 11, he says Ephraim also is a silly dove. In verse 16, they're like a treacherous bow. In other words, imagine you're going to shoot a firearm and the thing blows up in your hand. You can't trust it. It's going to hurt you. And all of these descriptions he's applying to a people that were raised with a Bible. They were raised with the word of Moses and the prophets. And yet they threw that away to go with people who had nothing but stories that they just insisted were true without basis. But in those days, everybody knew the Jews came out of Egypt. Everybody knew the Exodus story. You couldn't refute it. It'd be like living today and saying, well, the Civil War didn't happen. My devotion time this week, I was in Deuteronomy, and I got to the 20th chapter in verse 18. And I read, was God is telling them, you need to take these people out of this land. This is the promised land. You're instruments of judgment. You have to drive them out of these cities. You make no treaties with them. Then he says, why? Lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against Yahweh your God. You toss your God under the proverbial bus because you like these other guys. But they're lies. And that's where we are. Several hundred years later, here's the prophet Ephraim saying, you're cake unturned because you didn't drive them out. You drove yourself to them. When I was a lad in New York, I had a mentor in my life. He had one of the best-known karate schools in the nation at the time. It was a tough place. Uh, it was in Chinatown. And when you'd come there, it, he had the outside. It was a big loft. He had the outside fixed. So you'd feel like you were in Tokyo or something. But he's very creative. He was an eccentric. I think he was a genius. But he was very eccentric. Well, he had this big chain outside, and he wrote canine on it. And the idea was like, this is how big my dog is. But he also had this other sign that I've not, I think about it often. It said, it said, attack trained. And what he meant by, if you're going to come mess with us, you better be ready, because we're ready. And I've just always admired that. You know, if you, you <laughs> most people do not know how to handle an assault on them. You don't know what to do if somebody punches at you, swings at you. So you say, what does this have to do with Hosea? I'm getting there. (laughs) 
Some are natural scrappers. Some people just know. They're just fighters. Uh, it, it, that doesn't mean they're mean or anything. They just know it, how to protect themselves. But the spiritual application is this. In the physical world, you can see the attack as it is coming, or unless you're getting sucker punched, but you know what's going on at some point. Spiritually, though, only those that are trained know what's going on. Only those who can discern the devil, only those who are spiritually alive can really see what is happening. And if it were any other way, everybody would be saved. And some, some of these uh, people that I have in mind are trained in a good home. They go to a good Bible-teaching church. But still, still they don't learn that they're being attacked by Satan. They don't know because they're not trained because they don't want to be trained. They're too busy fussing. They're too busy arguing. They're too busy resisting. They're too busy trying to be themselves and follow the world instead of coming under the authority of those who love them and provide for them and are raising them. And when Paul says, put on the entire armor of God, he's saying, don't leave any of it off. Don't think all you need is, oh, this is a light one. I'll I'll just take the shield. He's saying, you better be ready for whatever unfolds. That you may be able to stand. Remember, we are reading that from Corinthians, where Paul says, if you, you know, stand, unless you believe for nothing... Put on the entire armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. See, they know he's up to no good. They know his devices. They know that he is wily. But those who refuse to be trained, they don't. And it's their fault, largely, if they're raised in a home, if they go to a church where the word is preached. So as a teen... Being born into a house of believers, I don't automatically become righteous. I do not automatically love the Lord Jesus. If that were so, then we wouldn't be seeing so many of our little girls being seduced into perversity you can't even imagine. When you hear a voice in your head and you're born a female and you hear that voice say, I want to be a boy. That's Satan. It ain't the milkman. Well, there are no more milkmen. (laughs) That is the voice of the devil when you hear such things and you start being entertained by it. Israel was trained in the ways of Yahweh. But they opted not to see the punches that were coming their way. They never used that training, not the audience that Hosea is speaking to. Or Ephraim, what shall I do with you? Judah, what am I going to do with you? Ungodly alliances puts the Christian child on the snack platter for the devil. That is a fact. Where where else are you going to hear this? Except the church, except the house of God. Uh, The supposition that goes along with this in the minds of those susceptible to this thing. And by supposition, I mean they have no proof for the lifestyle that they're choosing. They hear of the gospel so much that it is no longer valuable to them, I suppose. Speaking of supposing, if you are young, it's not, God is not saying, I want you to suppose your way through life. 
God is saying, I want to train you. I want to teach you. I want to tell you what's going on. Never mind what all the other Christians are doing when I'm talking to you right now. He says, I want you to listen to me. Satan is going to come at you. He's going to attack you. You will not be automatically ready because you're, what, impressed with yourself? Because you haven't thought that far? There will be lust. There will be the, there will be the self-will. There may be substance abuse temptations, covetedness. There's the culture that we face. There are those ungodly alliances when devil sends friendly people your, the devil sends friendly people your way. People who are friendly to you, but not to God. They're not to be your friends. And I don't mean you can't be polite. I don't mean we should be rude or anything like that. But we've got to understand whose uniform people are, are wearing. It makes all the difference. Those who are drawn to Christ or those who are trying to draw you away from him because they don't care about him. This is the world. This is the society. These are the advocates of perversity that are now in global control of communications. Even the commercials, the ads, are pushing the sodomite spirit, perversity. And the big one right now in the world, with all of her diabolical philosophies and theories and deceptions and dishonest insistence, is that transformation of your gender. God's not given that option to anybody. I'll come back to that one, because we need to come back to that one, because it is Sodom and Gomorrah revived. But it's not supposed to be that way. Especially if you're raised in a house of godly people. You have a pastor that preaches the word. Paul, writing to the Colossians, said, Beware lest anyone cheat you. What part of anyone is not anyone? What, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So, after Cain slayed his brother, after he murdered his brother, because he was jealous of his faith, because Abel was righteous, when Cain goes on with the grace of God on his life, did he begin to advocate worshiping God any way you want? Of course he did, because he never repents. He would have pushed that philosophy and others would have gobbled it up. Paul continues in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward. That means you can be cheated from it, uh, of it. Taking delight in false humility. The worship of angels. Intruding into things which he has not seen. Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Paul's saying, here's a person not walking with Christ. Don't let them cheat you. Don't let them convince you with these little arguments that is nothing more than insistence without, it has no basis in fact or reality. There's no proof. Scripture offers a tremendous amount of proof. This very prophet, Hosea, in the earlier chapters, he said, listen, God's people are going to go without a temple. They're not going to have a king. They're not going to have princes. They're not going to have it. 
And that was the case in, since 70 AD until 1948. That was the case. That was a prophetic word. This is why Peter said we have the more sure word of prophecy. He wasn't limiting it to predictive prophecy, but he was including predictive prophecy because there are types of prophecy. There's direct prophecy. Thus says the Lord. You know, when, when Nathan said to David, you're the man, David. You're the sinner in this case. You're the problem. That was direct prophecy. And so, the word of God is always right. How foolish and thoughtless youth can be without even trying. They don't even know they are many times. Do you disagree with this? Or do you suppose that the youth are always very thoughtful and never foolish? I mean, it's a struggle all of us go through all of our lives to not be foolish and thoughtless. I know what it's like to be raised in a home where Christ is preached and loved. And I also know what it's like to turn away from him. But I also know what it's like to have him reach out for me. And I also know what it's like to say thank you, Lord, for reaching out to me. Being lost is like being a driver who is lost but thinks they're going in the right direction. And the more they hit that gas pedal, the further away they're going. This is the world. They're driving through life lost. And they're pushing on that gas pedal as hard as they can push. But they're going the wrong way. There are plenty of detour signs that are given to them through the church. David, or the psalmist of Psalm 118, I believe David, he expressed this about himself. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. What a wonderful confession. David was saying, I, I messed up. But I'm not beyond correction. Presumption occurs when my will becomes better than God's will. That makes me, in the biblical sense, presumptuous. Presumption is action or speech or thought contrary to God and without justification. We see it in several places, but I just want to take one. This is the story of the Jews. Moses said, I want you to go in the land, spy it out, and tell me what you see. What he should have said to them when they came back is, I asked you what you saw. I didn't ask you your opinion. Joshua won't give him that. When Joshua later sends the spies in, he doesn't say, so what do you think? Can we take this place? Anyway, they were sent into the promised land. He said, the land is flowing with milk and honey. Look at the grapes we brought and the fruit. I mean, this is a wonderful place, but we can't beat these giants. And that's how you know you wish in hindsight that Moses would have said, shut up. Nobody asked you that. You were sent out as spies. You're not a decision maker here. But anyway, they came back with their negative report, and they infected the nation. The nation fell under their spell. Two people did not. Of course, Moses did not either, but Moses had other issues uh, where he wasn't going in, and, and he's good with that at this point. So they decide, when Moses comes back to them and says, listen, here's the wor- hear the word of the Lord. Your carcasses are going to litter the wilderness. They said, oh, we have sinned. We blew it. And Moses said, you sure did. He didn't say that, but he should have. But, he, he, you know, that was it for Moses. For his thinking, okay, it's done. But what they did is said, we're going to take it. We're going to go in anyway. God wanted us to have that land. We messed up. God says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get you in that land now. But we're going to go in anyway. Numbers chapter 14, verse 44. But they presumed to go up 
to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh nor Moses departed from the camp. It clearly says in earlier, I think verse 43 there, that the Lord's not going with them. And they were driven back, of course. That's presumption. God's not going with you. Oh, we'll, we'll be all right without him. And they weren't. And our youth may think that they are ready for spiritual war just because, and they're not. Our youth may think that they are ready to run their own lives, and they are not. In the world, you hope that people have mentors that are decent in Christianity. You hope that Christians have those who are discipling them. And not, not officially. You don't have to put a banner on, you know, I am being discipled by you know, this person or that one. Uh, you just you have your people that you listen to. The youth may think that they know better, but they do not. The older Christians learn that, you know, that's just how life is for us too. We don't want to presume just because we have learned so much and acquired experience, we still have to be cautious and not presumptuous. Hell is excited over the idea that there are going to be people that think that they can do anything they want with the God and his truth and get away with it. Hell loves that kind of stuff. Isaiah 14, 9. Hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth, because that's where they are. There's others there. Now, of course, there's mockery within that. He's speaking to the king, and he's also speaking about Satan, and he's also applying it to people in general who want to go against God and his truth. What if you cannot accept correction? And this is part of youth. I mean, this is part of life for a lot of us. It's never fun to be criticized. No, I mean, I've never been criticized. But you know what? I really enjoyed that. I may have said thank you. I did need that. It's rare, but it, it happened once. <laughs> but you, you can't get away from it. Uh, I prefer the criticisms that are unintentional. Someone may say something and God says, that's for you. <laughs> you do that. You need to fix that. Well, here in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 5, listen to what God says about these people that we've been talking about. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And your judgments are like light that goes forth. God is saying, I, I gave you the scriptures. I've been trying to correct you. But you've been stiff arming me the whole time. You don't want my correction. You think you know it all. Hell's excited about you. Can't wait to meet you. This, don't think you're too young to go to hell. Um, I think that would be a mistake in philosophy. I think that it would be better, more advisable, I should say, to understand that maybe I'm too young to go to hell now, but I won't be in a few years. Life's moving forward. Isaiah then said, or earlier said, to a different king, Therefore Sheol has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure, their glory and their multitude and their pomp. And he who is jubilant shall descend into it. They're marching off to hell in a parade, all dressed up, but hell nonetheless. 
So you have a decision to make, if you, especially those of you younger ones who are still living in the home. Are you going to be preoccupied with your carnality, with your flesh, with your self-will? Are you going to fail to understand the value of having people in your life that are teaching you, providing for you, directing you? Are you going to toss all that away? Well, I'm going to come back to tossing things away at the end. Separation is the antidote. It is the proper response. It is the, the defense that is found in our manual of spiritual warfare, the Bible. The safety of the people of God is separation from those who are drawing them away from God. Choose separation. Ezra writes this. He says, The children of Israel who had returned from the captivity ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek Yahweh, God of Israel. He's saying the reason why we were in captivity is because we didn't separate. We broke down those walls of separation that God put around us. Back in Deuteronomy, when I read to you this morning about how God said, don't, uh, don't be friends with them. Uh, don't let them influence you. Don't, let, don't, don't come under their spell. Well, they did. And they went off to captivity. And now they're out. And Hosea is saying, this generation now understands it. A pity that Hosea's generation did not. As Billy Sunday, a preacher of many decades ago, said, a man who lets the devil choose his friends will soon do anything the devil wants him to do. There's a lot of people addicted to drugs because of that and other things. They came under the influence of the wrong crowd, a crowd that the parents, in many cases, worked so hard to shield their child from. The Jews broke down that wall of separation and the results were heartbreaking and it's true on an individual level as, as it was on a national level for Israel. If you are a teenager, I would advise you at some point, or whenever you feel moved by the Spirit, pray for guts to say no to Satan. Pray for the guts to say, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men, and that is fallen men. Romans 12, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God, that you may live it out, that it's not just a philosophy, that you may pursue it, actively pursue it. Yep, you're going to take hits. Yep, you're going to stumble. You're going to get bruised. You're going to get hurt. You're going to be afraid. You're going to be confused. You're going to face all those things, perplexed, but not in despair. You will prevail nonetheless. Do you have guts to serve Christ? Do you have courage enough to take up a cross and follow him? Or have you made up your mind the world is better? Hell's excited about you. It's opened his mouth wide to receive you. When Paul wrote to the, or spoke with the Ephesian pastors, we covered this last session in Acts, he said to them, Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn Everyone, night and day, with tears. Well, let's put that in up in our language. I told you this till I was blue in the face. That's what he was saying to them. I repeated it over and over. Watch, the devil's creeping in. That's, you shouldn't read that as a believer and just go on to the next verse. That's one of those verses that is sort of a speed bump. It makes you stop and think about that. 
What went into this man, knowing this man, his history, what, what was happening in his heart and his head that caused him to do this? Separation is for protection, so I've got some questions. Instead of loving Jesus, are you willfully betraying him? You're showing up at church because you have to, but we can't wait to the time when you don't have to come anymore. Instead of standing against anti-Christians in this man-made hell culture from hell, instead of standing against them, you're sympathizing with them. You're advocating them. You're repeating them. You're supporting them in some way. Because you like the person that doesn't like Christ, is not a green light to continue to be in fellowship with that person. You have to learn this. Instead of heading towards heaven, are you flying to hell? Giggling with the rest of those and angry at Christ at the same time. Then there's the hope side. Instead of loving the lies, especially of this perverse generation, you choose to be loyal to Christ and stand as strong as you can stand. Knowing that if in standing you fall, he'll pick you back up. There'll be other Christians there to help you. Instead of caving to friends against Jesus, you lunge against them with the truth and rebuke and invitation to accept Christ. That's how you learn to fight when they're swinging at you. When they tell you, oh, this is not bad, I'm thinking about this, you can say, it's fair to say, okay, you had your say, now it's my turn. Thus says the Lord, repent and be converted that times of refreshing may come. May come. Because the alternative is unacceptable. And so instead of gleefully skipping off to hell, you're praying to God to use you, to help you to drag others out of the sin that they've stumbled into. Listen to what Jude says to the adults. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ until eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. That's fighting. That is scrapping. That is spiritual war in action. Judah's saying, if you can pull them out of hell, hating the sin, what the flesh brings in, then do it. You're big enough to be in the sanctuary. We treat you like everybody else. Are you going to insist on behaving like a child? Are you going to insist on following the world? You can. You're being seduced if you do. Seduction, the definition of seduction, the basic definition is to be persuaded to disobedience. To be persuaded to disloyalty. I think every Christian should every now and then go to the dictionary and look up the word loyalty and just read it out loud. It'd be like, you know, every time you change your air filters at home, oh, I've got to run to the dictionary. Read loyalty. Or you can read numbers because numbers is a story of disloyalty, among other things. And it was disloyalty amongst the fighters. The book of Numbers is called Numbers because the people were numbered for war, the troops were numbered for war. Second Corinthian. Oh, be reminded, seduction is a routine attack of Satan. 
it is not something that he sometimes does. It's not something that, you know, is random. It is routine. It is the plan of the day. When hell wakes up, it says, what is on the roster for today? Seduce them. Lure them away from Christ. Second Corinthians 6, 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. And Christ is hated for that. What is in there to resist? I'm going to read two quotes from pastors. The first one, long since in heaven. There is a toleration that is treachery. There is a peace which is paralysis. There are hours when the church must say no to those who ask communion with her. In the doing of her work on the basis of compromise. In other words, he's saying, you've got to stand up to them. They're going to try to seduce you away. Say no. And what's true of the church is true of the individual. Look, if someone says, Pastor, I'm leaving the church because I have found a better pastor. I have no argument to that. I think you're lying. But I, I really have no, there's nothing I can say to that. But if they were to say to me, I found a better church, I'd take issue there. Because the church is made out of people. And if you think you're going to ragmouth on the people that worship in a Bible-teaching church, I'm not going to go with you on that one. Yeah, I, I may not be getting it all right, but you're not going to just lump, lump in all the believers like that and get away. Well, no one's ever done that to me. <laughs> so, uh, well, they did. And I'm not going to tell you what happened to them. No, they, they did not. There's another quote. Scripture does not support the inclusiveness Tolerance of error and willingness to embrace false teachers in the name of love and unity that marks the professing church today. Well, that marked the church in Spurgeon's day, too. And in uh, Richard Baxter's day. It, It did it back in the day of Augustine. I mean, it's always been. It's routine. The Satan trying to seduce you and pull you away. You sit there, you act like you're listening, but is it going in one ear and out the other? Is it going in your ear and into your heart? It's okay to feel it as long as your head is in it. Wind, the wind uh, or the feelings is like wind to a sail. It helps propel the vessel. But if you have no rudder, you're going to land on the rocks. Too much wind, you will be a wreckage, too little when you won't get anywhere. It's that balance. But I believe that feelings, when moved by intellect, are a very powerful tool in the hand of a Christian. We call it inspiration. We call it passion. And when we're passionate about something, because our head has got it, we understand it. We've received the doctrine and not just the feeling then Satan is, is put on defense. 1 Corinthians 10, 21. Again, I read it. <clears throat> you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. You can't come in here and have communion and then go into the world and applaud their evil as they hate Christ and think that God doesn't see it. and That doesn't come with a penalty. If Satan had a church, would you attend... I think any sane person would say, no, of course not. But we have spiritually insane people on earth 
who just for the sake of anarchy would go against that. But overall, people would say the spiritual enemy of God and, and humans, we, if they had a church, we wouldn't go. Well, he does have churches. Those assemblies that overrule God's word. Those are Satan's churches. Jesus tried to tell the churches in Revelation, the seven churches. Well, not all of them, but the ones that were uh, aberrant. He was telling them, you're not abiding with me. And if you don't fix this, you're not going to be a church anymore. I don't care what you're doing. I'm going to come take your candle from you. You can assemble all you want. You won't be a church. We see this today. If Satan had a Facebook page, would you like him? You say, of course not. But he does have a Facebook page. And those who hate the word of God, those who hate the son of God, who brazenly post their anti-Christ lifestyle, do you like them? Do you go to their pages and give them a thumbs up? Because if you do, you're the one I've been talking to all morning. You're not separating yourself. You're not drawing to Christ. You think this is a joke. You think there's no consequence of hell. You're falling for Satan's seduction. And if I don't tell you, your parents don't tell you, your friends don't tell you, who else can tell you? As I mentioned from Hosea, God sending the prophets, cutting out words to them, to appeal to them, to reason with them. 1 John chapter 3.13. Pastor Eric read this at the men's Bible uh, bacon fest yesterday. He wants to have a vegan fest. <laughs> Where are you? No, he doesn't. But it is a thought, right? All the broccoli you can eat. Anyway. Uh, he read this verse, and I hope, I hope the men heard this too. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Well, John knew what it was like to be hated by the world. He was put on, he, when he was sentenced to the Isle of Patmos, it wasn't because they loved him. They hated what he had to say. And the world hates Christians to this day when we stand up for what Christ has to say. Don't be shocked by that. Learn how to take that, you know, know what to do with that punch. He went so far as to warn them if they did not unfriend God went so far to, un to warn them through Hosea that if they did not unfriend the idols, God would unfriend them. Hosea chapter 1, God said, For you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Man, that's, that's what happens when they go to hell. That's what they're told. You're not my people, and I will not be your God. Because by your affections... You have unfriended me and embraced them. And God knows about the heart of those parents that have raised their children to love the Lord, only to have those children turn on them. God writes about it in his word. Micah chapter 6, O my people, what have I done to you? How, are you? how have I wearied you? Tell me. Again, Micah 6, verse 3. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Tell me. God understands. That, that, that verse, that is wounded love speaking there. After all I've done, what did I do to you to deserve this kind of treatment? Isaiah 4, he speaks of it again. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? And why then 
When I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? Why do I train up a child in the way that they should go and they don't go? That's what he's saying there. That's the balance to that verse. I did everything right, God says, and you did everything wrong. Why? Because there is a real devil. Why listen to Satan? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's law. And nobody's going to change that without dire consequence. Attempt to change it, because you can't change it. This is for this generation. He made them male and female, and you can't change teams. It's so funny. They tout science when it comes to evolution, but not biology. How's that work? How do, you get, how, how do you get a Y chromosome, chromosome if you're not born with one? The men have the Y. The women have Ys too. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? <laughs> yeah, we know why we all laugh. Many a truth is said in jest. Anyway, Satan threw it all away. And those who listen to him are doing the same thing. Why would you listen to this guy? He stood in the glory of God and he threw it all away and he wants to advise you. Have you ever met people like that? Their life's in shambles, but they want to give you advice. I mean, it's like, you know, the advice might be right, but there's a disconnect here. It's something, you know, things have got, they can't go forward without logic. I don't understand why people can admire a teacher and then have a problem with the teacher implementing what they've taught. And this is, this is a lot of churches. You, you know, you'd be a great Bible teacher, and, and the things you do is because you have that knowledge of the Word, but they think it's two different things. They're not. They're connected. If the pastor is making rules and regulations because of the knowledge of the Scripture, not because he just, you know, had a bad day. Well, we can't practice that in other areas. That is not consistent in logic. Satan threw it all away, knowing the glory of God, and now wants to give you advice on how to do it too. And why listen to the one who challenged the glory and the love of God and lost everything? See, that the logical conclusions are not with the world. They have logical conclusions about physical things, but not spiritual things. Not without God. So, in closing, I'd like to recite to you the Gospel of Matthew. (laughs) Sin drives out. That's what I want to say. Out from our true selves, your lower self becomes dominant. Your higher self dies if you let sin get the upper hand. Sin drives us out from fellowship with other human beings who seek the Lord. But most of all, sin drives us out from the presence of God. Genesis 3, after the fall. You know, Genesis 3 is about the fall of man. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden. He drove him out, and he put that cherubim there, it says, with a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And God is saying in that, I'm very serious about Casting them out. 
But I'm very serious about not casting them out forever. I want to give them a chance to get back in that garden. And that's why the tree of life was prohibited at that time. And in Luke's gospel, we read about this horrible regret. It's the only parable Jesus gave where he used names. And in this parable, which is believed to be a real event, it is in Sheol, it is in the underworld, and if it's not a real event, it certainly is a, a commentary on a real event. He speaks about the man who is in hell who's thirsty. He's still arrogant, incidentally. He retains his personality. And we know that he's arrogant because in the parable, he asked uh, Abraham to send his servant from life to get him something to drink. You see, he still thinks the other guy serves him. But anyway, he says uh, he wants to tell, he, want, he wants his brothers that are alive to hear about hell. He says, for I have five brothers uh, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, let them read their Bible. And he continues. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Jesus is saying, it's the word of God. And if, if they're not going to listen to the word of God, they're going to be where you are. They're going where you are. And you regret it, there's no exit. You're there forever. It is a horrible regret. The stakes we're playing for are high. We're not trying to win a trophy in a sparring match. We're trying not to go to an eternal hell. And I will close with, with this. God reaching out to these very people in Hosea chapter 11. So we get the full balance of what's going on with this prophet. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? Adma was one of the cities destroyed in, with Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, how can I set you like Zeboam, another one? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. Giving up on lost souls stirs revulsion in the heart of God. That's what that is saying. I just can't walk away from you. As long as there's life in you, I will be reaching for you. But rather than spend your life being reached for, why not come with Christ and be used by him to drag them out of the fire, hating even the garments of the flesh? I think it's a good question. Let's pray. Our Father, your word, it gets to it. It pulls no punches about humanity, about sin. It's very upfront about your love and your kindness. And yet, with all of that, are we not tired of seeing our youth seduced, plucked up like a bird does seeds, carried away? Our response to that is to continue to preach the word, to pray to you, to live the example, to have love and patience, but also to understand separation and implement it, to stand firm. We cannot always cast out the wayward from our home, but we can stand against what they stand for in a very clear, loving firm way.
If you've been listening this morning and you can feel God moving in your heart, perhaps, but if you are not with God, if you've not opened your heart to him, then you are against him. Jesus said, those who are not with me are against me. When given the choice, who do you choose? We have a choice right now. You can side with Christ and stand firm against the world, and hopefully God will use you to reach your, your friends, your comrades. Or you can go with them. But if you want Christ and salvation, make this prayer and mean it. He says, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your laws. I ask you to forgive me. There's no one else that died for me, to demonstrate the love for me, to take away my punishment, and also rose again to demonstrate the power to do so. I give my life to you right here, right now, without shame. And I ask from this day forward that boldly and sensibly I will serve you. And you'd be my Lord. Now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer in your son's name, may indeed you fill them with your spirit. May indeed their salvation be sure. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.